Hello and welcome to the Native and Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, another week down. First week of December. Can you believe it's in December of 2021 already? No, and we haven't had any snow. It's kind of <laughs> messing with me. Yeah. Well, that's Colorado for you, it, it seems is. like. Yeah. So always trying to mess with us. Always. So in this episode, we have a quick update, but then we will uh, dive into our guest. Uh, I'm looking forward to this podcast. I think it should be fun, but uh, make sure your kids aren't listening. <laughs> <laughs> Little Earmuffs. disclaimer. Yeah. So, but before we dive into that, we definitely want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Satori Tattoo. So it is the Christmas season, and the best gift that you can put in that stocking is a gift card to Satori Tattoo. If you got that itch or that need for a new piercing or tattoo, definitely reach out to Satori Tattoo. They are located at 116 East 4th Street in downtown Loveland. Chris, Kim, the whole crew there, they do a phenomenal job. And I know that you got yours that is being worked on. Yeah, I'm getting ready to put one on the books. And yeah. then your husband is just finishing up with his sleeve. Oh, he's in his second of four sessions. Because <laughs> he's doing the sleeve and then he's doing the ravens on his chest. So no, he's, he's not even close. Not even close. No, but, but it's doing just fine. <laughs> That's awesome. So yes, if you have that need during this holiday season for that new tattoo or piercing, definitely reach out to Satori Tattoo. Again, 116 East 4th Street in downtown Loveland. And the best way to reach out to him is actually just via Facebook Messenger. Kim does a phenomenal job of responding. And, uh, yeah, get your appointment set. Yeah, definitely uh, reach out today. Awesome. Oh, uh, just on a quick side note on that, the um, Satori uh, business downtown is actually collecting gift cards for the um, – not really – it's not – it's structured similar to Toys for Tots, but they're mostly getting gift cards so kids can go out and buy their siblings or their family members gift cards for Christmas. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, 15 or $30 gift card. I didn't know they were doing that. That's yep. great. Drop them right off. Oh, so. Perfect. Well, so news in northern Colorado. So an interesting thing, Betta Gumbo yeah. has been a staple. We've talked about Clay, uh, Chef Clay, a couple of times, especially with everything that they did. They passed out over 1,700 food or meals for Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving on November 24th. Chef Clay does an awful lot for the community, for downtown Loveland. And now they're getting ready to have the same effect in Windsor. If you can believe it, they're getting ready to open up a Betta Gumbo in Windsor. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a pretty cool location. Do you know where? Um, I have no idea where it's going to be. Well, I'm sure it'll be downtown some somewhere. It just um, bringing something that we've had as a staple downtown for a while, and then taking it out a little further east will be pretty cool. And and the people of Windsor are always um, in need of more options. I suppose there's some great restaurants there, but get them a little further out there. It'll be good. Absolutely. So, and then uh, if you are looking for things to do during this hol holiday season, definitely a good reminder, the uh, the light show out at Chapanga. Oh, yeah. <laughs> out at Sintera. They do a phenomenal job. Have you been out there? I haven't ever been out there. I've driven by it when it's lit up, but I haven't ever gone and walked through it. So it's fantastic. You're able to walk around, but then they have the, this whole, it's like 30 to 45 minutes long of just um, the lights that go to the music and all of that stuff. It's fantastic. So definitely go and stop by, you know, Ziggy's or Starbucks, grab your hot chocolate and head over there. Yeah. Uh, it's something that if the kids are bugging you, especially this time of year, the kids are bugging you or you've got relatives in town. That's something fun to go do. And it doesn't cost you anything, which is nice. Yeah, that's a that's a, a very nice perk. And I did see that the star is definitely lit up. It so is. It yeah, is. We had talked about the Namaqua star. Yeah. And so, and we've got, uh, coming up next Saturday is actually uh, in Berthed is their Parade of Lights. So if you are looking for something to do, again, they've got the ice sculptures that are going to start kicking off next week, and then Saturday it culminates with the parade. So, and I think that kicks off right about 5.30 in downtown Berthoud, so. Well, and then on December 10th, which I believe is next, it looks like it's Friday. Friday. Yeah. December 10th, next Friday, um, the Harrington Arts Alliance um, is starting their holiday walk uh, down at the old Gap building in Sentara. And, you know, um, they've got some varied hours, but it looks like most Fridays and Saturdays, they're open till 9. And then some days they go from like 11 to 3. 
So what exactly is that? Well, so they did their haunted house and they had all these themed rooms where they had actors playing certain Halloween themed sort of scary stuff, but they've, they're shifting that now to do a little more fundraising. Um, and it's anywhere from like the Grinch to Krampus to Santa Claus, elves, snowmen, all of those things. And it's not scary at all. Um, but it's just essentially an indoor holiday unhaunted house, I guess you could say. <laughs> An unhaunted house. Yeah, <laughs> that's really, I can't, I, that's how I could describe it, but, um, they, it does help them raise money. But let me just tell you, these, these kids, um, the actors that do this are absolutely amazing. And I'm just so impressed with what these kids put forward. So that's awesome. That is awesome. So I'm wondering is Harrington, and maybe you can answer this. Are they doing a, um, a, a what did they call it in the past? Uh, they did it was like basically drop your kids off for three hours. They watch movies with them. They do fun activities, that sort of stuff. So it gives the parents the ability to go out and do Christmas shopping and all of that stuff. Are they doing that again? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but we dropped our kids off one year, (laughs) all of us right there. Um, you know, that's a great question. I'll have to touch base with them because we've got a lot of people we know that are involved. So I'll update next week. Yeah. And they're still located right next to Grimm Brothers Brewing, aren't they? I believe so. Yeah. So, which that's also a good thing. Drop the kids off, go to the brewery. It's fantastic. Uber home. Indeed. <laughs> All right. So this episode with our guest, so our guest is anonymous, he is just going to go by Mr. B. He is a deputy with one of the Northern Cal- uh, Northern Colorado uh, counties. And what we're talking about, so this time of year is the Grinch, is the fact of the uptick. We've talked about this before with the transients that we've had, um, the increase in crime, the increase in thefts, and we wanted to have uh, someone that is in law enforcement be able to come on and just talk to us about what is actually going on, what's actually happening in the streets. So, welcome, Mr. B. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How are you? Good. Great day. So a little bit different than uh, your normal day-to-day work, I can imagine, being on a podcast. First one. (laughs) First one. (laughs) Awesome. So um, without giving too much detail, because, again, we don't want to get you in trouble, but we want to hear the information and everything that you have to share. Uh, How many years in law enforcement do you have? Cumulative, about 28 years. 28 years. So you have seen a vast change within law enforcement, I can imagine, over the last three decades. Yes, sir. So awesome. So I guess with the start of this interview, let's start kind of at the beginning, or at least what I'm calling the beginning, um, with the BLM movement, with defunding the police. Take us through what that has done to our police forces, our sheriff's departments. What what have you been seeing as far as, I guess, how handcuffed have our police become? Well, um, thankfully, this region is hasn't been affected by that stuff as much as maybe our Midwest nation, our East Coast nation, California. Um, our country is definitely polarized right now. And whoever's fault that is, we could sit here and play the blame game all night long. Doesn't really matter to me. Um, for somebody that's been in this line of work for a long time, what's lost right now is every accountability, responsibility, um, for the lack of a better term, crime friendly DAs crime-friendly politicians, whether it's by master plan or some other ideal, um, there's truly no accountability right now uh, with criminals. Um, the uptick in crime is, is global, um, and it's also seasonal. Um, let me give you an example Northern Colorado, uh, there's a lot of construction going on. Yeah. With construction, you see crime. That is just his, historical. Um, there's a lot of construction. If I can pause you, why, yeah, why? is that? Um, because it's associated with, um, and how do I say it? And to be politically correct, um, 
I know we asked you not to curse on this one, so you're having a little bit of struggles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't dropped any F-bomb yet. I haven't. I'll try not to. Um, construction sites are, are free. Oh. Um, they're not really taken care of. Um, you have numerous people working construction sites day and night. You have tons of equipment that is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Material, house building material, sundry material. Um, those are easy pickings for the criminal element. And it's, crime is about opportunity. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether, you, whether you're stealing $30,000 worth of roofing materials or stealing the car out of a driveway. Crime is about opportunity. And right now, opportunity is pretty good. Because they're, even if they get caught, the, the criminal element, <clears throat> excuse me, um, there's no consequence to their action. Are you still, uh, is, are the police departments and the sheriff's office still kind of handcuffing the officers as far as who you can arrest and who you can take to jail as far as just going through the process? Are you guys doing anything of that sort or what's, I guess, what's yeah, going on right now? Yeah, to some extent, but I would put that more, I would put the blame more on our pandemic mm-hmm. than anything else. Um, jails are, the treaters of their population. It is absolutely paramount to keep that population safe. The biggest outbreaks are coming from jail inmates. You have a huge outbreak in a population of a hundred plus inmates. It could be as simple as a dozen people. Doesn't matter where. That stifles a jail population. Um, most jail populations in this state and countrywide, are full. Yeah. They're full to the brim. They're overloading. Um, so that changes your arrest standards. Uh, most property crimes are PR bondable. By that, I mean you sign out on your own recognizance. Um, so that's one of those that you don't even have to give any money. It's just basically a signature and you get released? Exactly. Okay. Um, while still being on that type of bond in the public, you're still held to parameters and standard of that bond while your due process is taking place. Everybody deserves due process. Everybody is innocent till proven guilty. Um, everything right now is just overwhelming. It's because of COVID. It's because of defund the police movement. Um, every agency is different. Every state is different with laws with regards to funding money. Typically, police departments are better funding because they pass public safety taxes. That's just one example compared to rural county agencies. Other agencies are bigger than others. Um, training is always an issue. Um, I complain a lot about how our department, we do too much training. That, that's how, an odd take. Yeah, that's so, unusual. Well, let, me so expand. That. Yeah. let me expand on that. Um, I've been in this business for a long time. There's days that I don't want to train at all. and For lack of a better term, I'm over it. Okay. That's not wrong, right, or indifferent. It just is what it is. Uh, cops, law enforcement officers get burned out. They see trauma every day. They see violence every day. They're very, they live a very gypsy-like lifestyle in the course of their employment. They see one trauma, they move on to the next. But going back to earlier, um, what we were talking about, and kind of lost my train of thought here. <laughs> no worries. Um, with some of the stuff that you've been going through um, with law enforcement, especially really breaking it down into the last 18 months, have you seen 
obviously the uptick in crime, it feels like there's an uptick in crime. And I know we were talking about that originally being seasonal, but are you seeing it more so than just your seasonal uptick? Absolutely. And what are the crimes that you're seeing as far as the uptick? Is it just burglaries? Is it, is it robberies? Is it, are you seeing more homicides happen? What, what are we seeing? Absolutely. Um, Northern Colorado may not be as bad as Aurora PD or the Denver metro area. I, I know Denver metro area and Aurora PD are, they have homicides every day. Historically, they're not too far off outside of the COVID window, outside of the defund the police movement. Um, politics is very heavy in counties like, counties like Boulder, counties like Denver, counties like Aurora. They have their hands a lot more tied, and they also have lost hundreds more officers because of this kind of a movement because of it. Um, you have Denver Police Department is a good example. They have thousands and thousands of police officers. Berthed, or Larimer County, probably three or four hundred sworn. I'm guessing. I'm, I'm probably not far off. But in comparison with other neighboring counties, Boulder, Weld's probably a little bit bigger because Weld's the biggest county in the state. Um, uh, Adams County, uh, whatnot. Um, it's, it's just a combination of everything for the last going on two years. Um, COVID has really hit hard in that respect because it's really crippled our system, not just our law enforcement system. Our mental health system. Yeah, big time. Our social services system. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all entities that by nature and by history have struggled with for a long time now. I want to say going back 15 to 20 years. There's resource that is required. There is funding required. There is personnel that is required. Mental health it's a big hot topic right now. Oh, absolutely it is. Big time. Um, your jails right now are the percentage of people that have mental health is in jail right now are not getting, in my opinion, I'm no expert. I've been a street cop for a long time. I know what goes out there in the streets, what goes out there in the field. I, and I'll preface everything I say by I'm not an expert. I've just seen what I've seen. It's no. just flat out experience. No. You know, um, mental health. And if I offend somebody by this statement, I don't care because in my <laughs> opinion, it's the truth. Yeah. And if you want to reach out to somebody, definitely reach out to us on our email, which is the native dot the transplant at gmail.com. But go ahead. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. But mental health. In my opinion, wants to pat themselves on the back with the easy cases and oh, yeah. don't want to tackle the hard cases. So with the mental health issue that we've been seeing, has it also increased or have you seen an uptick in drug abuse and alcohol abuse? Yes and no. Okay. It's hard to really say. Drugs have always been around. They always will be. Same with alcohol. It's just come to the forefront now because we've had periods of multiple lockdowns Yeah, during this COVID crisis where you're at home. That stress takes a toll on families. It takes a toll on fathers. It takes a toll on mothers. It takes a toll. I think the greatest toll of all is children mm-hmm. because we're, we're de-socializing ourselves with all this stuff. I'm not going to place blame in one particular spot. It's a combination of everything. But it's almost like when I talk to people, neighbors, friends, family, people I meet at work, whether they're a criminal or somebody I'm simply talking to on the street, as that the only ownership they're taking for is themselves and their families. Beyond that, screw the world. Yeah, because they don't have the bandwidth to worry about anybody else at this point. And they, they really don't. They, 
it's it's hard to function as it is today with what's going on in the world, but to add all the normal pressures of life onto it, it it's it's really difficult. We have a, a a new generation of children growing up. We all have spouses. We all have older children, younger children. They're suffering the same effects from this. They desocial. It's like we're desocializing our communities and our our species. What makes us thrive the most? Social being yeah. social. Hmm. It's a huge, huge. To me, just slap in the face. So I am going to put something out there to ask you these certain questions. <clears throat> Pardon me. So I'm going to just put it on the record. You don't work for LPD. And I'm not going to say who, which, um, which agency, agency, thank you, that you do work for. But just for this sake, I know for a fact you don't work for LPD. With everything that you have seen, because LPD has been in the hot seat for quite a while, with everything that happened with Karen Gardner, everything that happened with Alex, Alex Domina, Domina, with even just shooting a dog, that sort of stuff. Are you? What are you seeing as far as police officers that are out on the street? And the overall stress level that they're going through, is it some, is that taking a toll and are officers making different decisions than they would have prior to this? And that's why we're having some of these cases or is that a department issue? I think it's an all encompassing issue. It's lack of experience. It's younger officers. It's new officers. It's older officers that are burned out. It's society, how they're treated. It's stress. Um, being a police officer is a pretty tough job. You have to solve everybody else's problems, how minute they might be. And we've come to a place in society right now that nobody can handle their own personal private issues. They call the police for everything. Yeah, they've lost their ability to no coping mechanisms. To some extent, I, yes. Um, and like I said, I'm not an expert. I can't explain why one family has a different dynamic to the next family, um, or a friend or a loved one or a coworker. If you had that ability and that knowledge, then you wouldn't be a police officer right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that police officers get villainized so much. Some, with, they should, because they, they've made some dumb mistakes, and it's going to cost them and their department the rest of their lives. You know, um, when a cop makes a mistake, not only is he subject to criminal charges, especially right now, mm -hmm. because it's an attack the cops kind of mentality from our government and our leaders, but also um, civil liability. And I can attest to that as well. You know, I've, I've sat in federal depositions for false, uh, alleged false arrest where I did nothing wrong. You know, and in the end run, it settles because that's the cost of doing business. And I that's mean, yeah. something that every cop needs to know, young or old, and understand. It's a tough world out there. Uh, we're dealing with, with all these crises from mental health to the homeless to going to your house because your child is having a tantrum and doesn't want to go to school. That's a pretty wide spectrum of problems that the police have to deal with on top of their own personal lives. And, and they get burned out. You get burned out from your job. You have bad weeks. Yeah. You have bad weeks. We all do. Oh, yeah. Um, but cops, cops also have a, a machismo about them where they hold themselves accountable for everything they do, but they don't communicate very well. They don't sleep very well. They don't eat very well. They do shift work. Mm -hmm. And as I stated before, <clears throat> they go from one trauma to the next. They live a very gypsy 
lifestyle at work. Well, and you're expected to go from one trauma to calming down a domestic violence situation to responding to a road accident or something and then going to an, an another trauma and literally being able to slough that off your shoulders and walk out of that and go into a new situation where you've got to be the one that takes control and makes this situation safe again. That's hard. And if I could piggyback onto that, I think it takes a pretty special person to be able to have a 25, 30 year career, um, to, um, encapsulate all that and keep it inside. Compartmentalize that and yes, not let it absolutely. affect your family. That's a, that's a perfect term. Yep. Um, this younger generation is pretty concerning and it's pretty concerning that that younger generation uh, wants to be cops. Um, I have my own opinions about the younger generation, and I, I won't get into that because it doesn't really matter. It's nothing that I can change or affect. Um, but it's we're just building off of nothing. I guess is the best thing I could say. And these poor kids are growing up. They're not, they're not socializing. Uh, they're, they're just sucked into social media. Um, they're not, I grew up in a completely different area, era, I should say. Excuse my language. (laughs) I learned how to drive a stick on a tractor in a cornfield. Me too. I don't, aside from my kids, because I have a different standard of how I'm raising my kids, they're not perfect. Nobody's kids are. Um, but our kids are being raised differently this, this, um, time around this, this generation. There, so, yeah. There's a lot of instant gratification. I see. Yeah. Expectations. Yeah. Laziness. I'm sorry, but. I put it out there. It's it's the truth. There's so much screen time too, and I feel like that just exacerbates the problem. So dealing with some of the stuff that we've seen um, really over the last two years with police departments, if there's – from your experience, if there is a bad cop, do the other cops know about it? Do you know who's a good cop and who's a bad cop? <clears throat> yes, absolutely. And are there ways that police departments can – weed out the bad cops or yes there is and that that, that's one thing that they've gotten better at in the last couple years only because it's been brought to the forefront um training 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 is huge there's a lot of scientific backing with training and being a cop the average joe might not understand that and i wouldn't expect them to because they don't do my job they don't walk in my shoes um so if I can pause you real quick, because you talk about training, 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 but then also you talked earlier about overtraining. What's the what's the dynamic, or can you give us an example of how often you do training or that your department trains and kind of what that looks like? Well, our department does trainings weekly, whether it's a SWAT team or canine. Um we're suffering a lot of attrition right now because of retirements mm-hmm. due to COVID, due to the pandemic, due to defunding the police movement, the anti-cop rhetoric. Um, right now, all the baby boomers are retiring. Yeah, it's true. It's not just in law enforcement. It's everywhere because why do I need to deal with this garbage when I can comfortably retire? That That is straight across the board. So our department is no different. We've lost a handful of people and everybody's hurting because of it because everybody that's left has to pick up the slack, mandatory overtime, the shift work. Now these younger kids, they're, they're, they work a lot more overtime and extra duty, but they can handle it. Yeah. I, I can say that because I was 21 once. I was 25 once. It's a whole different ball of wax. 27 years, 28 years down the road. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. The turnaround time on shift work is, is so much different and, and when you're older. Um, you have departments that – our department works 12-hour shifts. 
that can be ruthless at times. Um, three on, three off, four on, four off. And that's ruthless. Um, but we're no different than anywhere. Whether we're a 400 sworn agency or a 5,000 sworn agency, the equity in numbers lost is pretty comparable. Um, it affects everyone. And it affects policing. And I just want to put this out there. So we, we talked about this when we had, uh, Sheriff Candidate Jeff Fisher on, um, dealing with sworn versus unsworn officers, um, where sworn officers is, there's certain parameters that you're able to go in and do where you have kind of the community officers that are unsworn officers that kind of handle some of the paperwork and that sort of stuff. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So, um, can I, uh, ask just one quick question about this. Um, did you take a pretty big hit? I, I know that there were some agencies across the country that took some, like Chicago took that huge hit because like 40% of their force refused to get vaccinated. And so they lost tons of people. Did you guys take any hits because of that or how, how did that go? That's still playing out right now. Yeah, I feel that. Okay. And that's all I'll say about that. No, I, I definitely feel that, especially <laughs> right. in, in my, my arena. I don't – all – I think the only thing I would say about that is that it's going to be an, an interesting December. I would concur. Um, we'll see what happens by the first of the year. Me personally, I don't think it's going to be a good thing. Okay. We'll lose more. Yeah. But I don't think we're any different from other people. They're, everybody has their opinions and their beliefs about that. Yeah. that That's a whole other issue that, it, in my opinion, has no bearing in law enforcement. Really shouldn't have anything to do with no. it. Um, yeah. It's been a long-held belief. You don't mix politics with law enforcement. Not a good I, idea. I mean, going 50 years back, but... You could probably say that about a lot of other entities going on <laughs> in the world right now. Oh, it seems like everything's political in this day and age. You know, you you have you have communities, you have countries, you have leaders that talk about wanting to fix the pandemic and cure people and and basically are in my opinion two-faced because they talk about what we all want, but they're still making it political. That's 100%. We've talked about that several times. It's, yeah. it's all political. I, I, I firmly believe that we probably could have been done with a lot of this junk if it hadn't become a political hot button. Yeah, because then at that point in time, it creates further polarization. And Yeah, just like you said earlier. Yeah. yeah. We're very yeah, divided. And I, don't, and I don't – unfortunately, I don't see it near an end. You know, these – if I – my best guess, based on my experience, we're in for a tough couple more years. So what happens if we have, if we continue to lose officers, and it seems like every department within Northern Colorado, really within Colorado as a whole, is actively trying to hire more officers. And so if we continue to lose officers and they can't backfill that, and we dwindle and say we go to half the number of officers that we used to have, or even less than that, a third. What does that do overall to the crime rate? At a spike, it's it's a natural occurrence. the The criminal element knows that they're not dummies. They yeah, have a job to do, just yeah. like us. So, do you think it would also increase the amount of? Vigilante justice. You know, we were just coming off of the Kyle Rittenhouse case. And I, I can say that with that case, it, the fact that it was live streamed yeah. is the only reason why Kyle Rittenhouse walked away. If that one wouldn't have been live streamed or if we didn't have the video of what actually happened, the public, the public mob would have condemned, condemned him to life in prison. And so looking at some of that stuff where being able to protect yourself and your property and your family, and if we're seeing these spikes in crime, then what's the other effect where people are arming themselves to protect themselves and their families? Right. How does this play out? We'll see. I've had conversations with family, friends, and coworkers about – Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. 
quote, end quote, 2025. I know it sounds silly, but well, I, I mentioned this earlier. People are out for themselves and to protect their loved ones. Yep. Outside of those boundaries, it's game on. And road rage and the vigilante type, type behavior is also rather huge now. Especially when we had all those people suddenly return back to work. Oh, man, I got a, I got an uptick on that myself. Road, road rage is definitely amped up. And it's, and it's different because I'll make a joke about Californians because road rage, <laughs> uh, you're lucky you don't get shot and killed in California. Because everybody's carrying a gun, not just the felons or the parolees. Hmm. But it's happening here too. I see it weekly. What do you, I'm, I'm just, this is my, for my, myself personally, what do you do with a road rage incident where somebody calls into the cops and says, hey, I've got some lunatic that's driving behind me doing all of this stuff, um, you know, weaving in and out of traffic. What, what does a cop do? When they come on scene or if they pull that person over, I guess, what are <laughs> the capabilities? It's a standard investigation, just like any other. It, you get both sides of the story, determine who's the aggressor, um, and file appropriate charges, if any. But I will tell you this, ro- road rage is, is hot right now because a lot of it is involving weapons. Wow. Really? Uh, you, yes, it is. Uh, people are shooting at each other out there on the streets. In Colorado? Yes. Huh. Holy yes, God. they are. I'm going to make sure you use my turn signal from here on out. Um, start out there. BMWs come standard with that now just for any BMW owners out <laughs> I don't, there. I don't drive a BMW. <laughs> well, it's, it's – you know, going back to the, the whole – I'm going to protect mine and my family, and I don't give a shit about the outside of that bubble. Sorry. <laughs> First one, First folks. one. Nice First work. One, I'll put folks. a tally mark down. Um, <laughs> but it's true. People are just protecting themselves and not worrying. That outside bubble is game on. Do you think that things, road rage included, do you think that those things escalate? A lot faster at this point that we are right now. Yeah, I do because people, everybody has a short fuse. Mm-hmm. The stress levels with families and friends and coworkers right now is through the roof. So, out of curiosity, is that seasonal as well? Because now everybody's coming together for the holidays. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Well, um, joking aside, I, I would say yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it's very far fetched. So holidays are a stressful time too. Oh, yeah. You know, you you oh, yeah. I just had the dis- discussion with a friend the other day about how they have to host every year for the holidays. This individual has multiple siblings, but yet she has to host at her house every year for quite a big family. She has four siblings. Mom, dad, Grandma, grandpa, that's a lot of work. Yeah. And they're throwing all the kids and. And I'm not trying to be sexist here, but <laughs> I think women are more prone to stress, especially with personal stuff than men are. I've been very fortunate in my life for what I've seen and what I've done to number one, be able to have lived through it so far. Knock on wood. I'm still here. Um, when I go to work, I'm at DEFCOM 4 all day long. Yeah. When I come home, I have to decompress. And if that means some days I have to yell at my kids to just leave me alone for a half hour, that's what I have to do. But I'm very communicative with my family. They know that. They understand that. Um, my kids are teenagers. <laughs> they're, 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 they're that in between. Oh, yeah. But they understand. They get it. And they get that dad has been in several, um, trauma related incidents that involved death and just flat out senseless violence. Yeah. I think you kids know, read that I, really well. I have, cops are an interesting breed because you either take it home with you. 
and take it out on the family mm-hmm. or it's the complete opposite. You take it to work and you'll fall apart. Hmm. You know, and having said that, I don't care who you are and what you do, any LEO out there in the world, talk, speak out, reach out to somebody because LEO suicide is at its highest as well. You have, you have a suicide rate of over 50% historically with LEOs and I think divorce is even higher. Yeah, I would say so. And I'm a blessed man. I have a wife that understands and loves me even on the days she hates me the most. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Funny to chuckle at yeah. that, but I'm a pretty blessed individual, you know, to just be able to not be dead. Yeah, you do have a pretty cool wife, though. I'm going to say that. She's all right. I like your wife. <laughs> She's all right. She's going to listen to this. Say some nice things. Yeah, we had that discussion already. <laughs> That's great. I can't repeat that. <laughs> Fair enough. That's so great. what are you thinking going – we're almost at the end of 2021, going into 2022. What are some of the things that you think are going to happen or help or detract from policing within 2022? I think the anti-cop rhetoric is going to still be there um, because of our leadership and our government. That's why I spoke to earlier about it's going to be another, I think, challenging, rough two years. So if I can pause you for just a second, speaking of leadership within a department, um, I know me personally, I've called out Chief Tyser with LPD multiple times. I think with everything that he did, it's it's inexcusable and he should have already re, uh, resigned his position as Chief of, of Loveland PD. What is or is there a way that officers that see bad or poor leadership that they can replace that leadership or that they can put in requests to replace that leadership? Because to me, the leadership within an or within an agency truly controls the atmosphere and the way that the officers will actually do their job. And am I am I wrong in that? No, assessment? you're not wrong at all. And I think is a whole all-encompassing picture on that topic, I would have to say. I don't know. A lot of departments work on a good old boy club. Yeah, how do you basis. do that without re- retaliation as well? Um, it's That's big. I mean... Hey, I'm not going to lie. That's, that's an issue. Because um, I know on the sheriff's department side, that's one of the parts that I appreciate about the sheriff's department over just these local municipalities <clears throat> is because the sheriff's an elected official. So if he's doing a piss poor job and everybody knows it, they vote him out and they get somebody else in. But with with a chief of police, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, every de- Every department is different in how they police. Um, every department has their own parameters, has their own stresses. Um, the whole defund the police movement and, and lack of law enforcement officers on the street. I think I saw, I read a horrible statistic today about there are six cops for every 10,000 citizens out there right now. I believe wow. is what I read. Don't quote me on that, but that that's that's rough. It's a pretty low number, yeah. That's that's rough. I mean it's it's everything. It's funding, it's burnout, it's morale. It I think it has affected every department equally, but in different ways. You you have departments that maybe have twelve people on the department, sworn people, up to 5,000. What is LAPD and New York City are one of the biggest law enforcement departments in the world, 30, 40, 50,000 sworn officers. Right. They're losing people by the tens and 20,000s for the same reason. You take a hit no matter where you act. If you have a department of 12 people and you lose one, you're taking a hit because that's one shift lost 
right. to active policing. And I use that term active policing because I haven't seen proactive policing for quite some time now. For all of those same reasons that I've spoke to earlier. Morale. The defund the police murder, HB 217. So if I can pause you for just a second, what do you mean as far as the difference between proactive policing mm-hmm. and active policing? I'm not doing squat because I'll get in trouble. I can't put it any better or more bluntly. So basically you're doing the bare minimum. As far as just active policing, something occurred. I'm going to take care of the situation at the time, but I'm not going to be actively trying to assist or help. Is that kind of? Absolutely. Okay. I would, and I would take that as like you're reactive. So you're answering calls, all of those things, but it's not something where you're looking for solutions or you're really trying to fix things that maybe you weren't aware of, like you're looking for those things that you're just responding. Yes, I very much agree. And you got to remember that all of these sheriff's offices and police departments and and probation and parole, they're understaffed. Mm -hmm. They're, in my opinion, underpaid. You you can't pay me enough to do my job. You can't. I should be making $10 million a year. <laughs> no pun intended, yeah, yeah. but you cannot pay a police officer enough to do his job because of what he suffers overall through the course of his career. It's like no other job. Hmm. You know, the top three most dangerous jobs are poli- law enforcement officers, construction workers, and there was one other. I don't know if it still holds true. I can't remember, but yeah, I'm trying to remember. Making a comparison to a construction <laughs> worker and a police officer. A police officer can go get murdered in his first shift. Brand yeah. new, out of the academy, first shift on FTO. I've seen it. I've read about it yeah. many, many times. <clears throat> murdered on his first shift. Construction worker falls off a girder and dies. Twenty feet. That happens all the time. Yeah. Right, but I would submit that the construction worker has a good idea of exactly what kind of job site that they're going into, and they have their safety parameters put into place, whereas a police officer or law enforcement officer literally has no idea what they're walking into every single time. As far as the daily activities, yeah, I would agree with that. Pulling somebody over, yeah. Um, you just never know. And, and things, people are so fickle about how they react to anything. Good, bad, indifferent, violent, um, nonverbal. I, I mean, you name it. it. It just runs the gamut. Have you seen an uptick in more aggression, especially like a, during a pullover situation? Yeah, especially with race. I, I don't think it's huge in our reason. I think we're lucky. Um, a lot of these agencies in the, in the north uh, region of Colorado, they have a pretty good rapport with their community. But yeah. most of those communities are conservative communities. They're working class communities. And I don't – I'm a person that doesn't care whether you're Democrat, Republican, white, black, red, blue, um, Chinese, whatever. I just believe in freedom and personal choice. And I, the only reason that I've been so successful in my job for as many years as I've been doing it because I just treat people the way that I expect to be treated. It doesn't matter whether they're a murder suspect or just somebody I'm helping change their tire on the side of the road because they got a flat and they don't know how to fix it. Hmm. It's that simple. Cops are no different. They're just expected to do a hell of a lot more, you know, and they suffer for it over the years. And like I said earlier, it takes a special breed to just take all that in for 30 years and not commit suicide. Yeah. I mean, it's our law enforcement officers. Are because I think, I think you truly, 99% of them are good. They do the good every day. They're no different from a lawyer, a doctor. Well, easy there with the lawyer thing, so. Um, <laughs> Sorry. A, a mortgage broker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just treat people how you want to be treated. 
How, what do we teach our kids? Do our kids, do our kids see any of that? Do they no. treat their peers? You're black. I'm white. Yeah, they don't no. care. Yeah, they don't they care. don't care. I don't care. Your choice is your choice. Whether you want to be vaccinated, whether you want to be a cop, whether you want to be a lazy bum and not work at home. That's not for me to judge. If I judged everybody I came into contact, I would eat my gun. Because that's, you can't do that. Your body and your mind is not geared to do that. No. All of us humans are inherently good. We all have bad and we all have good in us. So it's. So the last thing that I wanted to just touch base with you on is what are you seeing on, on the court side of things? Cause this is the reports that we've been seeing quite a bit is the backlog within the courts that that is creating an awful lot of issues. What, what have you been seeing? The courts are completely overwhelmed and it's going to get worse. Yeah, it is. Um, we're seeing, we're seeing trials that are that years beyond speedy trial. How does that affect the trial when it's not, you have a right to a speedy trial? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you, you have a level of government that makes the rules. They can change the rules. You know, they can, I guess for back of a letter, a lack of a better term, Change them, bend them, break them. That's that's our government right now, in my opinion. Well, because we're in a crisis, so we can change it however it needs to happen, <laughs> you know, right? We're we, you know, you talk about crisis. It's funny because we've we uh, what's uh, I'm trying to think of the term for we exacerbate this crisis (laughs) we have exacerbated this crisis for going on two years now exponentially there's a lot of things we've could have done differently and i think things would have worked out for the better we're just all trying to get through to tomorrow yeah well the reason why i bring that up is because i know that with the um the rental moratoriums and then also on the forbearance issues, we're starting to see some of the housing crisis that I think is going to be playing out in the next year. Yes. And with the backlog of courts dealing with landlords, dealing with a renter who hasn't paid rent in the last year, you know, take us through that as far as the law enforcement side of having to come in and, evict somebody it's a tough job to do historically the sheriff's office is responsible for that statutorily um i don't want to say that this the moratorium is kind of a misnomer um most plaintiffs can argue lots of things about evicting somebody and get a judgment against that individual I think the big problem with our court system, which I also think is another broken entity, is that they don't see the aftermath of that judgment. Yeah, they don't see what does that. Throwing a family out with newborns, one week olds, we're just contributing to the homeless problem. They're packing up their immediate belongings and driving off in a minivan. Now... There's the other side of that coin. They haven't paid rent in 19 months. What is a management company supposed to do? A private landlord. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? I, I've been a landlord. I know. I've evicted people. I know. It's a lose-lose situation. It's kind of like a domestic violence yeah. incident or a divorce. Nobody wins. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wins. Um, I can't speak for other agencies around the state, but I've witnessed evictions. I've witnessed putting families out on the street. I don't like it, especially during the holidays. Yeah, that would not feel good. It's, it's a tough thing to do. And that's, that's a huge pill to swallow. You know, it's, I don't, that's not why a police officer took that oath. 
Right. You know, this is kind of corny. Every every young cop in an interview would tell you, well, I want to help people. That's a cliche thing to do, right? Yeah. Um, the reality of it, cop life, is you don't help a whole lot of people. You have this drive to put the bad guy in jail, get him off the streets, so he doesn't victimize other people. Children, innocent people, elderly people, people of color, immigrants. Um, it's just amazing that you – know, I lost my train of thought again. <laughs> Sorry. You're Al- saying you don't become a police officer. Al- Alzheimer so- Joe here <laughs> is setting in. <laughs> but you don't become a police officer to help people. It's more that you uh, have to stop the victimization of those vulnerable I, I think it's a general goal because – the people you do help versus the people that you're trying to put away and, and stop the victimization of, of innocent people is – the pendulum is huge. You don't help a lot of people in your career Well, no, I think I, I would actually general. disagree with that. I think by stopping the victimization or getting the people off the street that are going to cause that is helping them not become victims. So even if you don't ever directly see who – they might have affected you made sure that they didn't yeah and um that's a good point and i agree but remember going back to the <clears throat> gypsy lifestyle right trauma to trauma to trauma we don't necessarily see that we yeah. don't know that we might not know that all the people that i've affected in my career and i know that i've helped I have a standing record of them, whether it's video, pictures, paper documentation versus the people I've put in jail. Like I said, the pendulum is huge. Yeah. It's huge. And I don't – I'm not it, – it, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. it is what it is. And like I said, we're – I can't imagine ever working for a department – like new NYPD or LAPD because you're you're truly just a cog in the system there. There's so many people and places like New York and Chicago and Louisiana which historically have corrupt police departments. You're starting from zero. Yeah. You just got to keep your head above you water. Know, and I mean, and, and, one and it's right now in this system, it's such a hard time to get a good candidate that even wants to do this job. Mm-hmm. You can't be afraid to do this job because you have to, you might have to take a bullet someday. You know, you can't be afraid to yeah. do this job. And it's, I keep going back to just, it's everything. Mm-hmm. That is going on in the world right now. It's just the totality of the circumstances of everything that's going on in the world right now. This young generation, in my opinion, they're not ready to be cops. The 25, I don't think you should be a cop until you're at least 25, but we're hiring them 21 years old. You know, everybody is. Wow. I, it's a maturity thing. It's so scary to me. Let me ask you two. Were you mature at 21 years old? I was a little bit different, but <laughs> absolutely not. As far as being a, uh, I've always been told I have an old soul, but I don't. Even that being said, I don't think I would have been ready to be a police officer at twenty-one. You know, and actually, I was, I was offered to be a police officer at twenty-one years old. You was, as a cop, uh, yeah, I, no, and I politely declined. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> In California, they asked me to apply. I said, "No, I'm good." Um. Yeah, it's it's just insane that I don't think this generation is ready to do this job. I don't. I've seen it, not just in my own agency, but I read about it nationwide, worldwide. We got it's just like the military. You got these young kids going out to the to Middle East and wherever they're out going to fight somebody else's war, getting killed at nineteen and twenty and twenty one. Yeah. Yep. You know, I there's it's just a lot of craziness going on in the world, a yeah. lot of uncertainty, yeah, a, a lot of fear. Yeah. And of course, what does the criminal element do? They instill fear in the community. 
and then take advantage of it. Because we're every entity that we look at is so overwhelmed. I don't see it get any better. I keep going back to the two years. It's still going to be an, a tough two years up and coming. I would like to hope it cycles. Um, law enforcement usually does every five to ten years, but I wonder about this time around. We've taken quite the hit. Yeah. Wow. So, well, Mr. B, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast and being willing to just share your experience and everything that's gone on, especially here in Northern Colorado. Thank you. Appreciate it. So now I know you've been enjoying some beers, so we're getting to the best part of the podcast, Beer of the Week. And I know we are talking earlier, you're kind of a uh, beer connoisseur. You enjoy a lot of craft beers, that sort of stuff. But we have a new one for the Beer of the Week, Holla Daily Brewing Company out of Golden. Yeah, so um, I haven't even heard of these guys. I hadn't either, but okay. So let me give you a little little detail on it. First of all, um, Holla Daily is located um, at eight hundred one Brickyard Circle, Unit B in Golden, Colorado. Um, so uh, the the first one that we're trying is the favorite blonde ale, and the description is: Grandpa was an opt- optometrist who called his granddaughter and holiday founder his favorite blonde. Uh, inspired by the man who helped others see the value of a good time, our blonde ale has a subtle hop character and a mellow malt flavor. Um, looks like it, we are 5% alcohol by volume. Um, and this, these guys, um, so one of their things that they do is it's gluten-free. That That's what I'm seeing is both of them that we have are gluten-free, which to have a good tasting gluten-free beer I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, and they are certified. Yeah. Actually, this, this favorite blonde is really good. I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. it's got quite a bit of flavor to it. I don't know. What, Mr. B, what did you think? I haven't tried the blonde yet, but this other one is pretty good. Well, it's we'll just... a whole lot of, <laughs> am I getting too far ahead of myself? Yeah. Here? You're, you're jumping right ahead. So we got to have you try oh. the, that one. Give that one a try. Well, excuse me. <laughs> so, and I, I just love the artwork. It's kind of a, a simplistic, almost kind of art deco style. Yeah. It's pretty cool. What do you think? It tastes gluten free. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think it's pretty good. I, I stopped drinking uh, gluten beers as often as possible. I mean, obviously, most of our beers have gluten in them, but I, I kind of tried to stray away from that a couple years ago anyway, and this one's pretty good. It's a good sipping beer. It, it is. And yeah, it's, I was going to say, it's pretty smooth. I'll give it that. This is one that it has some citrus notes on the on the backside. It does, yeah. That I think it would be great in a fluted glass with an orange slice, that that would just bring out this beer just a little bit more i concur wholeheartedly actually yeah that would be crazy good so awesome so that is our first beer and then our second beer from holla daily brewing is big henry hazy ipa so and with big henry uh hazy ipa big henry is the trophy fish that's always just out of reach this beer is juicy and balanced with waves of tropical notes and citrus a gluten-free beer you never thought you'd land don't let this one get away this is a catch line on that beer. <laughs> and I, I'm, for a gluten free IPA, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> yes, I would agree. It is, you can hit those notes, um, the tropical notes and, uh, the citrus at the end. Um, it's a very smooth drinking beer and I believe it's a, what's the ABV on it's this? It's 6.3. 6.3 so. Yeah. It's a smooth drinker. I do like it, and I'm also a big IPA guy. And it's a, there's a whole lot of unfiltered goodness going on in this beer for a gluten free beer. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's an easy drinker. Um, again, a lot colder in a beer mug with possibly an orange <laughs> wedge in there with an orange slice. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, Jen, you've given me the look that this is. You aren't a fan of this one. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> Uh, I do like the little tropical notes in there. That's, that was a nice surprise. Um, but it's, it's way hoppier than I like it. it not, not my brand. Not going to do it brand. for me. Not that one. Fair enough. I Fair can't enough. even, I can't, I don't even have nice things other than the tropical. <laughs> I tried. No, no worries. If you're looking for something new that you haven't tried, uh, recently, 
definitely give Holland Daily Brewing a try. Yeah, they're so, pretty good. And again, they're out of Golden, Colorado. Uh, the easiest way is just holidaylybrewing.com and check them out. But you can find these here locally up in Northern Colorado um, yeah. at quite a few different uh, liquor stores. So Now, there were several. I think I got this one um, at Liquor Mix. Okay. I think I think that's right where I picked 34. it up. Yeah, I just kind of came across it the other day, a couple of days before we were recording last week, and was like, "Oh, we haven't had that one. I'll grab that one." So perfect. Well, I'm good. glad you did. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a this was a, a good podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation with Mr. B. Thank you again for being on. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. So we've got two more guests coming up for the end of 2022. So definitely tune in next week. But as always. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care.